0: Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are in our series, First Things First, and this one's called Imperfect Love. The question for you all to get started with today is, who in your life have you felt most loved by? Enjoy. Enjoy. As we begin this year, we're talking about this idea of first things first, this idea that there are some things that we need to put ourselves in the beginning that are at the core of what it means to be human, that Jesus and the scriptures and Christian tradition push us towards these ways of being. And so as we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Week, and I want to talk about this idea of love. But really what I want to talk about is imperfect love and how that's really the game and really the thing that we're interested in. And to do that, we gotta talk about some things. We gotta talk about imperfect love, and if we can do that, then we gotta say what does this actually say about God? And If we can understand what this means about God, then we can talk about the transactional side of things and then the transformational side of things. And If we can understand more deeply the transformational side of things, then we can understand what it means to be students of this love. And if we can be students of love, then we gotta participate in some evolution. And if we can do evolution, then we got to transcend, and then we got to include. And then we got to talk about a third way. And then if we can talk about a third way, then we can talk about some hot letters. And if we can talk about hot letters, then you talk about that I'm a glass case of emotions. <laughs> and if I can talk about a glass case of emotions, then we're going to get curious. And then if we get curious, then I'll tell a story about Bella. Sound good? Yeah. yeah. we got some work to do. <clears throat> I think that most often when we've been taught to think about love in the church, we're given this idea of perfection, that there's a perfect love out there for you. Sometimes we carry this love of perfection and that's how we talk about God. And then we use that for how we talk about our relationships with one another. But I think that that's a dirty, dirty lie. There is not such thing as perfection that you can hold on to. In fact, so much so, the idea of perfection in the Bible is not what you think about it. The word for perfection in the Greek is actually a word called telos. Telos does not mean a steady state, unmovable object that is omnipotent and omniscient. Telos means the end goal of something. The end goal of something is implying that you are going to be on a journey to move towards the end state of what something might be. But the beauty of that is that a journey means it's going to be messy. There are bumps in the road that the thing that's pulling you forward, that you're figuring it out through your human experience. As I've said before, it doesn't matter if God is perfect because you are not, so you will never experience God in that way. And what if God so knows that, that God's not even trying to tell you a story of perfection, that what God's trying to tell you is a story of the messiness and the beauty and the goodness and the joy of what it means to be human? Well, Corey, where would you get a crazy idea like that? Jesus, why did God come into the world, into the imperfection, into the messiness? Because that's the narrative. That's actually the good stuff. That it's Plato who gave us more lenses and frameworks about the Bible than, unfortunately, Jesus did. That it's through Greek ideals of what gods were or what perfection is, is how most of us have learned to interpret, not actually through the frameworks and perspectives that were provided by Jesus. Jesus. And so, so much of the work that we have to do is to unwire certain lenses that we've been given about perfection because honestly, they're just not helpful for you. Here's an example of that. How many of you grew up in a world where someone said, from the beginning of time, God had this person for you because in God's perfect love, this person was waiting for you in a dress or suit or things, right? And then you fell out of love or you got the divorce, or you hated them. Well, what happened to that story? I think the point of it is that the story is about imperfection, but it's always about choice. It's about your choice to love moving towards the telos of something. That the narratives of perfection don't actually do much for you as a human being because there's nothing perfect in the experience that you will have as a human in this world, and that's okay. We work so hard even trying to like clean up the scriptures and clean up Christian tradition. Have you read the Bible? It's messy as, yeah, that's the point. There's a reason why part of the scriptures are like, your ways are higher than my ways, God. And then there's another psalm that said, I would smash their babies' heads on rocks. That's up. You get it. Because the scriptures are saying that to be human, to understand God is complicated, So we need to move away from one pole, which is this idea of perfection that none of us can even relate to or actually understand, and it's difficult. But also culturally, we need to move away from this other pole over here, which is just a cheap idea of love. Maybe no other, uh, nothing else shows us this better way of cheap love than, of course, The Bachelor. Any Bachelor fans in here? Yeah, come on, right? Right? Beautiful stuff, you gotta love it. But none of you watch The Bachelor thinking, they're gonna be married for 50 years. Grandkids and great-grandkids with these ones. No, you're like, they're gonna have hot whatever in a tent for six weeks and then move on with their merry ways once their social media accounts are more popular. That's what you're expecting. But sometimes we use both of these poles to look at how we understand love. It's this idea of perfection that you can't relate to or what you're actually looking for in love is, I'm in Hawaii on a mountain with a helicopter and we're just so in love. No, you're not. Those were producers who put you there, right? And so somewhere in between is where we actually understand love and what it means to be human and how we do this story in a way more interesting way. So if we can understand imperfect love, then we have to really ask ourselves, well, what does that actually say about God? And maybe what it says about God is that God's okay with the imperfection, that God's okay with the figuring it out. And that's what love actually is. And there's where love becomes really interesting. I was having a conversation with somebody this week. He's actually a former ex-megachurch pastor. He just left his church in the last year and we're having lunch this week. And he's like, man, I've been ready to leave that thing for three years but didn't know how to do it. And now he's thinking about these bigger conversations of like how does he get the evangelical megachurch world into more affirming or more inclusive spaces to at least begin to have bigger conversations. He still has kind of a following and audience and support and relationships there. And I said, here's the thing that I learned along the way at New Abbey is that you can never convince somebody to be affirming of the LGBTQ community. There's not enough biblical evidence, there's not enough theological whatever, you can parse every Greek word and you can do it incredibly well, but just so you know, on the other side there's a whole other team of people saying something of the opposite. That's just the way that it is. Where I begin in these conversations is not about what it means to be LGBTQ affirming. I talk about a conversation as, what does it mean that God is inclusive? That's where you begin. Why we can't accept certain things about human beings is because you're scared that God believes something very specific. You have some warped view of God's perfection over here that makes it incapable for you to love other human beings that are different than you because you assume this perfect God loves you, and if that works out and these people are different than you, then somehow you can't love them, or some weird algorithm like that. But that's the algorithm that many of us had grown up with. And so what I say is you need to start with a God that either starts from the beginning of time and looks out at all of humanity, and God's words are true, that this is good, and this is good, and this is good, and this is very good, that every human being is made in the image of God, or not. There's no parsing that thing out. Nobody gets the job of saying, well, what God really meant is these people, but kind of these people, but more this person. No, no. God is either inclusive or exclusive in your understanding of things. And what's the beauty of it is, is that the scriptures start with an inclusive God, not a God who's coming into the world to redeem all of humanity because of how horrible you are. That God is coming into the world to remind you of your goodness. That's an incredibly different story. Well, I'm not sure, that's not what I grew up with in Sunday school, then why Jesus? The whole narrative of Jesus is that God would come into the world as a human being because God saw humanity as good. We say it in here all the time. It's one of my favorite lines from Richard Rohr. Jesus did not come into the world to change God's mind about you. That Jesus came into the world to change your mind about God. That's where we begin. That's a way better story of love that says, of course this thing is complicated. Of course this thing is messy. That's what love is. How many of you have been in love? Yeah. And was it easy? No. no. It's messy. And there's figuring it out. And there's betrayal. And there's heartache. And there's wondering. And there's also moments where just like, time stops. Come on, right? Like, it's so beautiful. Like, I remember like, Carissa would like but like I've been married for 15 years by the way this 12 year old face I know <laughs> but just so you know that's pre iPhones so I would have to like call Carissa like on a home phone right and when we get off the phone like be gone for like 6 seconds and I'd be like I just miss her so much I got to call her again like what? Oh, I was so amazing. Love doesn't stop there though. It's infectious and it's beautiful and it's novel, but then love years down the road and throw three kids into that thing and starting a church and all the good stuff. And love is Trader Joe's. And they are all in school right now and we are just buying milk, right? It's got some depth to it and some base to it and some beauty to it and that's love. It's endured some things. It's had some things to say. It's not cheap over here, and it's not unattainable over here. It's all of the massive room in between. That's where love is taking us. But the thing about love is that you keep growing in it, that we're all students of love in different ways, that you don't encounter love one day, and now that's your view of love for all of eternity you keep growing in what love means, that you keep seeing the person or things in different ways. And that's powerful because you are changing. You are changing at a physiological level every single day. You're changing psychologically, emotionally. Every aspect of who you are as a human being changes on a daily basis. And sh- show. so should your perspective of love. And so you got to be good students of it. you got to keep listening to it and say, what did I learn over there? Particularly in the heartache and in the pain and in the suffering when the world's not quite where it should be, which is all of the time. This is why we need great prophets like Martin Luther King Jr. This is why we need great prophets right in this world who tell us, who disrupt the system and say, it's not as it should be. And in the pain, in the difficulty, in the marches, in the shouting, in votes, you begin to see, oh, this thing has something to teach me. And then years down the road, you're going to see it all in a new way. But the beauty of love is that hopefully, if this deep base of God is inclusive and moving and shaping and evolving in you, is that the thing's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And so we believe that love always transcends and includes where it was before. I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people in this room and often what I hear is there's this thing over here that has so broken me, so hurt me, so pained me. I would just love to forget about this thing and move on. You can't, you can't, it's never going anywhere. That's your hardwiring. As much as you want to unwire it, that's just the Christianity that they taught you as a kid. As much as you want to get rid of those memories, that's just your mom or dad. As much as that was betrayal, that will just always be a part of how you see the world. Now, can that thing evolve? Can it grow? Can you get perspective? Can you be changed? Of course you can. But part of the movement and evolution of love is accepting of what is, and accepting of what has been. And so just like in the physical world, we transcend and we include. So, if you look at an atomic particle, an atomic particle always transcends the thing before it and includes it. Atomic particles are made of subatomic particles. I knew you thought we were going here this morning, you're welcome. (laughs) An atomic particle can't be made up of anything else but subatomic particles. It needs subatomic particles to be itself, so it transcends those things, but it includes them. Cells cannot be cells without atoms. It transcends what an atom is, but it includes it within itself to tell a bigger and more complex story of life. And it also includes the subatomic particles before that. Multicellular organisms. Keep preaching, Corey. This is too good. I will. (laughs) Happen because they transcended the cells, which transcended the atoms, which transcended the subatomic particles. And now you have multicellular organisms. You keep doing this thing forward, you get gray matter and consciousness. Without all of those things before it, you would have never got here. That the story of life transcends and includes the thing before it we will always hold on to the stories of subjugation and systematic racism that has happened in this world. And the reason for that, as Desmond Tutu says, you should always forgive, but you never forget. And you never forget so that you don't repeat that again. Transcend that way of being. Transcend that story where we told women in the church, oh, you can teach children, oh, you can do this, but you can never teach a man. Transcend that, but never forget that. Transcend a story where we told people of color, you don't have a voice or you must accept the white missionaries, my friend. Transcend that narrative. Transcend a narrative where we told people, because of the person that you love, you are somehow less than human. We should always remember those narratives, but we must transcend them, and they will be a part of our stories. And I don't know what it all means for humanity moving forward, but I know where we're at now, this is the work that we do. And Jesus was always way ahead of us on teaching us this bigger story of what it means to be human. And so follow along with me in Corinthians chapter 13. By the way, this is one of those passages, like no preaching needed, just read it every day. slide. Love is patient and kind. We got a bunch of millennials back there. They're doing Instagram stuff like that. It's really fun. <laughs> joking, joking. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own ways. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up and never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, again, think of a different word here, when you're moving through this journey to get to something, not something that is stable, concrete, and immovable in the universe, these partial things will become useless When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put childish things away. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything in perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely, and three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love." Paul is telling a bigger story here about the transformational side of life. That the rest of Corinthians around this is this transactional story of some will be priests and some will be pastors and some will be prophets and some will be evangelists and these are the kind of jobs that you'll have in the church. But what real life is, there's a bunch of things that you can do and there's a bunch of things that you can say. You can be the most successful person on planet Earth. Everything can look right around you on your Instagram. But the truth is is have you loved? My Angelo says it best. I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And isn't that true? The people on your deathbed are not gonna be like, sure didn't make a million dollars there, that guy. No. You're gonna say, when I was at Thanksgiving and I was figuring out my life, this person loved me in deeper ways. It's going to say that you've been such a good student of love and the imperfection of what this looks like, that you've gone through your own suffering and your own pain and your own being in this world, that when you needed grace, somebody else gave it to you. And now that you are this professor of grace and you've got your PhD in love, that when other people come to you with their narrative, which will be much different than yours, that you say to yourself, ah, I can be gracious and loving to you. This is the journey that we're on. This is the third way that Jesus is always inviting us into. What Jesus is telling us is this, particularly in that first part of the passage, where it's this idea of, what if you had all of the spiritual gifts, and you could speak in prophecy, and you could speak in tongues, but you were still a dick? (laughs) How many conservative Christians that you know that do that? They've memorized the entire Bible. They know everything there is to know. They have all six Chris Tomlin CDs, but they're still jerks. And this is what the scriptures are saying. That doesn't show transformation. It just shows that you transactionally participated in this story. But for you progressives out there, wait. It also says, what if I gave everything that I had to the poor, even putting my body on the line, right? I did every single march. I was a part of every single Facebook group. I let every person know about the injustices in this world, but you were still a dick. (laughs) Yeah, saw someone wanted to clap for that in the back. That's great. (laughs) You're not exempt on either side, just so you know, because neither of these are the final path. They're just a part of the path. They're just incomplete. They're just partial realities of what it means to be human. You should grow in your spirituality. You should honor Christian tradition. You should honor the traditions that you come from. You should name what it means to be human, right? You should grow. You should memorize Bible verses. Do that, but let it transform you. And you should go on marches and you should have a loud voice, particularly if you're someone who's never had a voice before. And if you've always had a voice, you should be an ally. These are the things that you should do, but don't stop there. Don't just be angry. Don't just be mad. Allow this radical reality of Jesus to transform you and show a third way that is rooted in love. Because love says this, I can still be mad and the world is still unjust and I can still be frustrated, but because I have received grace, I will offer it to you. Because I know a better way now. Because I am mature now. And when I was going through that, those people weren't mature and I don't wish this upon anybody. Man, that's a more interesting way to be human. That's the third way that Jesus is inviting us into. Abraham Lincoln used to do this thing where uh, when he would get really angry at like his generals or his like chiefs of staff, he would write them letters and he would write out these hot letters saying everything that he was mad about them. There's this famous story where uh, one of the secretaries of war had just bought really bad guns and and different supplies for the troops, and thousands of people died needlessly. And Abraham Lincoln wrote out the story. They still fired the guy, but he got all of his anger, all of his frustration, all of his impatience out, and he set it aside. He said, I'm going to let that thing sit, because in this moment, I don't have full perspective of what went on. And I think that's a lesson that we get to learn in life. It's trying to tell you love is patient and love is kind and love does not envy and love does not boast because most of the time, I'm impatient. I'm unkind. I am boasting. I have so many records of wrongs. It would fill encyclopedias, my friends, right? I'm the only one there, I guess. No amens. Interesting. And Abraham Lincoln is showing a better way of feel those things. It's okay that you experience that. That's what it means to be human. But don't let it stop there. And how much would we all learn if we practiced something as simple as that? How much would you learn if you were gracious to yourself in your imperfect love and said, I'm gonna get angry. Why? Because I drive on roads in Los Angeles. (laughs) I'm gonna be unkind because I love people and they are not gonna be perfect either. I'm gonna keep record of wrongs because like most human beings, I only see the world from my point of view. That's what it means, but it says, can you hold that reality as you mature and as you become more gracious, as you get deeper in this way of Jesus? Can you set that thing to the side and say, I'm gonna gain a better way? Now that might mean that one day you gotta bring that letter back out and you need to address that thing because you're also a healthy and mature human being and this is how you're gonna define boundaries or this is how you're gonna reconcile or this is how you're gonna repair. It also might mean that you're like, Man, I don't feel this way the same way that I felt a month ago, and that's okay. How many of us need this type of advice just on social media? Pause. Like 10 seconds of breathing in and out. Are you sure that this is the thing that you want to do? Or are there better places to put your energy? Is there a healthier and more mature love that you can participate with? I think about my emotions all of the time because my wife and I are incredibly different people. My wife is just like this super steady human being where it's like love is kind, and she's just like, duh, birds, right? But I am like the 2008 stock market, right? In my emotions. Ah! oh, Corey, when did this happen? In a 15-minute window. This is just how I live my life. It's terrifying. I say in a lot of relationships, there's a tetherball pole my wife, and there's a tetherball me. I'm just flinging myself around the universe, right? And sometimes I'm like, woo! And other times I'm just like, God, let me go. And other times, because of my wife's stability, I just lay next to the pole, I'm like, thank God I'm home. <laughs> oh, it was a tough day in the universe. I'm not alone. And I think that's okay. I've had to be okay with that's who I am. Who are you? Are you the tetherball pole? Are you the tether ball? Are you some combination in between? But how are you gracious to yourself in the imperfect love that you are? If you're just stable and steady, I don't understand you, but praise God. If you're a wild, out-of-control machine, oh, so much more fun, but that's who you are. And how do you grow in your patience and your kindness and not keeping records wrong for who you are as a human being? If you ever want to learn about loving, just be around kids or have kids, and they're going to teach you how hard it is. Because kids have tantrums. Many of you have tantrums, and you would like to have them in the same way as the kid. But you can't kick and scream on the floor of Vons as much as you would want to. And what I've learned about kids, and great psychologists talk about this, is that when I'm experiencing whatever level of disruption, when I'm not being patient, when I'm not being kind, when I have every list of wrong that planet Earth has ever done, I don't try to pretend that that's not there. I name that thing and say, how can this thing be my teacher? How do I get curious with myself? When my kid's in a tantrum, I can like bring down the hammer and go to timeout and, ah, your father is speaking. I don't know, you can do that stuff. Or you can get curious of like, Man, your sister took your hippo away again? That sucks. That sucks. Oh my gosh, are you hungry? I'm hungry too. and would love to strangle somebody, right? Did you not sleep well last night? I haven't slept well for four days either because of you, right? You get it. (laughs) These are the things that you would say to your child. Be gracious to yourself about that and get curious. The greatest teacher for you in love is your imperfection. Don't run away from it. Let it be a guide for your path and the telos that God is taking you on. And I end with this. My daughter teaches me things all the time. She's two years old, and I'll say to her, Bella, why are you so beautiful? She just smiles and says, God made me that way. And what if we had enough grace for all of ourselves in this room that in despite of all of your imperfections, Despite your tantrums, that you can look deep within yourself and you have grace and love, and you can just say, God made me that way. God made me that way with my tantrums and my anger. And I flipped that guy off in the 405, but he was a shithead. And that's okay. That doesn't have to be where you stop. What if you grow from there? God made me this way to go up and down. God made me this stable. God made me an introvert. God made me an extrovert. You're not just blaming it all on God, but what if you're giving yourself grace of like, this is who I am and this is my journey and I'm gonna offer myself love on this imperfect journey. And what if that is more true of the way of Jesus? Would you find those same three or four people around you and answer this question? How can you grow and be gracious to yourself and in imperfect love? Enjoy